So please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. As I have studied more in this book, I've come to realize that we may be here a while. Because there's a lot here, and I want to make sure that we give it a thorough hearing. So today we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 20 of chapter 1. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord and ask for his help with it. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that we would regard it as such. These are the words of our Creator, our Redeemer. These are words for our instruction. These are words for our conviction. We are the sinners that are being talked about in this text. So Lord, help us to not point fingers, but only at ourselves, to see ourselves in the mirror of your word, and then to run to you in repentance. You are faithful to forgive. Lord, forgive us where we break your law. Teach us from your truth today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As I was preparing this passage, it made me think of a story couple of stories that I had read throughout the days and uh, made me, th- there's a few robberies that I've read about that left me a bit puzzled. Normally when we think of the word robbery, robbery, we have a certain fear that is associated with that, right? We think of our personal property being violated, perhaps some violence against us or something like that, our favorite things being taken, physical violence being threatened, all these different You know, breaking through the window and hearing the, it's just all that sort of thing that we associate with the word robbery. One story I read, the criminal broke into a home while no one was home. So no one was home. They broke in and then began to prepare some homemade chicken soup for himself. And he also swept and mopped the floors for the homeowner and folded their clothes for them. Uh, They even put a sheet on the couch before they went and took a nap on it. You know, because he the food needed to cook, so I guess he was going to just sleep while the food was being cooked. And so the homeowner arrived and was scared, of course, to find the strange man laying on her couch. But she wasn't robbed. She wasn't mistreated. The cops came. The criminal sat quietly on a chair and waited peacefully for them to come and was arrested. Because you still can't break into people's houses, even if you're nice. Another story, an older man walks into a convenience store, pulls out a pellet gun, and says... Excuse me, sir, could you please give me all the money in the register? He continued, I'm very sorry to be doing this, and I plan to pay you back, but please give me all of your money. All the while, he was pointing the gun at the cashier, which is not cool. He was arrested, but he was polite to his arresting officers. What's wrong with these stories? By all appearance, there was two criminals in the story, and they were polite and well-mannered, they answered to authority, except for, of course, the, the law. But they answered the authority with no problems. The only problem, they broke into somebody's house. One of them held someone at gunpoint. They stole food and money. They made their victims feel afraid and unsafe for some time to come. They broke the law. Who cares if they were polite? In our text today, Israel is seemingly doing all the right things. 
They're in the temple. They're making sacrifices. They're observing the feasts and the days and the important things in the Hebrew calendar. They're being good Jews in everything except what counted. Last week we read about their rebellion in general. This week we're going to begin to see more of the substance of that rebellion. Many times I think in our own lives we also think, or we, we like to think that there's a few things that we could do that cover all the other things that we aren't doing or are doing that we shouldn't be. We worship a God who demands perfection. So we focus on the things that are easy for us to be perfect on rather than the right things. Hopefully we will see ourselves in the text today and that it will be helpful for us to see then how we should minister to others also. As we look at the text, I want to consider three main ideas. The worship of Israel the works of Israel, and then the forgiveness of our Lord. And so with that, look with me at the text, Isaiah chapter 1, starting at verse 10 through verse 20. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 1, starting at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath. And calling of the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient... You shall eat of the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just real quick review of last week. There was a a lot of harsh words for Judah and for Israel last week. But we ended the idea with the Lord has a remnant, a group of survivors. Even though he should have left us like Sodom and Gomorrah, he did not. He left some behind. So in today's text, we start with the Lord giving a message for the people, the rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah. Obviously, those people and those rulers are no longer existent. So he's comparing Sodom and Gomorrah to Israel and Judah. Why do you, I mean, don't you think here he's trying to make a point? Whereas last week we read about the general sin of the people that they were living in, now we're going to read about the more specifics 
And it's a sin that's common to the Old Testament, to the New Testament, to our own time. We'll see the sin not only in their worship, but also how they're treating others. That brings me to the first point, the worship of Israel. Look there at verse 11 and 12. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings. I do not delight in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? What to me is a multitude of your sacrifices? Imagine what the Lord is saying here. He's essentially saying that he's had enough of their acts of worship. All the sacrifices and all the different rites that they were to perform in the temple. Think about just all of those things that are written out in the books of like Leviticus. They are all meaningless, vain offerings, an abomination is what he says. And in verse 12, this trampling of my courts, you get the idea that he doesn't even want them in the temple at all or in, their, in those surrounding courts that are in the, in the temple that the regular people are allowed to go to. Not only the priests, but everybody. Keep them out of here. The idea is they're just kind of strolling in without any regard. Kind of the idea of a horse trampling something underfoot. Just the complete disregard for what the meaning of the temple is and what it's for. In verse 13, he moves on. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure the iniquity and solemn assembly. You get the idea of these sacred calendar days that are all throughout Israel's uh, history. I mean, this, this is a, an Old Testament thing. These aren't just made up. Appointed feasts and new moons. The Old Testament in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the of the Bible, they talk about this, how they are to uh, take and follow these holidays and how they are to follow certain new moons and all this different stuff. These are all dates that are set out by the Scriptures. Israel is supposed to follow them. What does the Lord say of them? He hates them. Verse 14, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of them. Those things that the Lord had appointed, He's now saying that He hates. Verse 15, what is the picture here? When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Well, we get this in the next part of the couplet. Even when you make prayers. So this idea of spreading out their hands is a prayer, is a prayer posture. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. This is a very, uh, a very vivid picture, is it not? Very vivid imagery. So how are we to interpret this? God has commanded Israel to do these things, to make sacrifices, to go through all these temple rites, to, to observe these days and the new moons and the things that he's talking about. They have, he's commanded them to pray to him when they need something. Why would God command something and then say, that thing is bad, I don't like it? Well, like always, in this, this instance as in any others, it's helpful to look elsewhere in Scripture to find 
this same kind of thing. We read a similar passage from Psalm 51 today about He does not desire our sacrifices. Well, we, we need to deal with that. I think later on in this, own, in this passage we find the reason for that, but I think it's good to find that in multiple places. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15. I think you see a very vivid picture from Saul. Good old King Saul, always quick to do the right thing, right? Not really. God, through Samuel, commanded Saul to destroy this people called the Amalekites. And not just go and destroy their army, but to destroy all of them. Their women, their children, their donkeys, their sheep, everything that has breath, put it to the sword. Destroy all of it. And Saul, being the good king that he is, of course, did none of that. He kept some of the stuff. He kept some of the people. He kept some of the livestock. He didn't kill the king. He just kind of decided what he was going to kill and kept everything else. And then you get this great line from Samuel. Samuel shows up, verse, uh, thir- or verse 13 of chapter 15. And Samuel came to Saul, and you get this idea. Saul is excited about what he's done. And Saul said, Blessed be to you, the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul was caught in the act. Did he actually do the commandment of the Lord like he said he did? No. And what's his excuse? Well, I was going to use them, you see, to make sacrifices of the Lord. I've only chosen the best pieces to make these sacrifices to the Lord because I know this is what the Lord wants, right? Verse 22 and 23, look with me. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To listen, better than the fat of rams. So what do we do with this today? We don't make sacrifices anymore. We don't really have holy days. There are a couple of days that Christians have added to the calendar that we call our Christian holidays, but the Bible doesn't add them. They're not like specific holy days. But we do have spiritual disciplines, right? We have prayer. We have Bible reading, Bible study, sharing our faith. The act of going to church, being with one another, fellowshipping with believers. We have the sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper. We have all these things that we call good and we associate with church. And all of those things are good things, don't get me wrong. All of these things, however, have the potential to do the same thing that the Old Testament sacrifices did. To make us simply think that going through the motions of our faith will be sufficient when we stand before a holy God. The Holy One of Israel is not desirous of our Bible study and our taking communion and our showing up to church with our 25-year attendance badge. He doesn't love our baptisms. He doesn't love our prayers and the fact that we memorize the book of James and that we maybe shared our faith with 12 people last week. 
he is desirous of obedience. And where do you stand on that? Now, it might be easy to hear this and think, now, wait a minute, aren't we saved by grace through, alone, through faith? Aren't you make, you're making it sound like our works somehow save us. That isn't at all what I'm saying. I'm not saying those works save you at all. Christ alone saves us. The righteousness earned by my works amounts to zero. I'm not trying to earn righteousness through those acts of holiness. Only the works of Christ can save me. No one's denying that. But it is my works that show that I am saved. It is my works that show Christ in me. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. our Lord Jesus talking here. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 15. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. And He says this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruits. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So a healthy tree bears good fruit. Where does my health come? Christ. Why am I a healthy tree to begin with? Jesus Christ. Not my own works. They didn't make me healthy. Christ made me healthy. But what fruit should I bear in Christ? Good fruit. Absolutely. And what is good fruit? Doing the works of Christ and repenting when I don't. And so again, we're not talking about some kind of works-based salvation in which we earn our way by doing good things. We are simply talking about those people who are in Christ will be doing those good things. And that brings me to the second point, the works of Israel. We get the picture here of the acts that they are doing, and better yet, the ones that they aren't doing. Look with me at verse 16 back in Isaiah chapter 1. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my eyes. Cease to do evil. They're obviously involved in some sort of evil act or acts. Verse 17, learn to do good. So notice those two things paired. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. All of these are good things that they should be doing. Seek justice, correct oppression. Again, these opposing thoughts that you see in the poetry. The thing is that they're doing something oppressing, right? That's the reason he's saying correct their oppression. Stop doing that. Instead, seek justice. Bring justice to the fatherless, the orphan. Plead the widow's case. What aren't they doing? They aren't taking care of their own. They're not taking care of the helpless, the widows, and the orphans. We're all familiar with the book of James, right? And James says that pure religion is taking care of widows and orphans. But Israel 
is having to be instructed in these things that should be plain to them. Why? Because they've forgotten the plain commands of the Lord. They have chased after other gods and they are walking away. It's a normal thing for Israel. The first sign that a people is going in the wrong directions is that they aren't taking care of their helpless. Something that our own country should take an inventory on, including ourselves. The instructions here are plain. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Take care of the helpless. Very plain. What's the problem? We, like Israel and Judah, are so bound up in ourselves that we can't stand to look outwardly. We're so busy looking at our own selves and our own good works and the things that we like about ourselves that we don't look beyond ourselves and see what's going on. We don't even want to do the first step there in verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Why? Because we don't think we need to. That's at the crux of that. In order to begin obeying the Lord, we first have to understand that we are bad at it. And that we are almost completely lost in it. Were it not for the intervention of the Lord Himself, we would be unable to do any good thing. It is because of His abiding in us that we are able to please Him at all. And that brings me to this third point, the forgiveness of the Lord. Look with me at verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your skins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The Lord has a proposition for the people of Israel. It is possible that their sins could go from red to white. You go back to that picture there in verse 15. Their hands are full of blood. A very vivid picture. And so in verse 18 he says, Your sins can go from this red to pure white. From corrupt to pure, from dirty to spotless. What is the stipulation? Verse 19. If you are willing and obedient. What does that mean? If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. What does that entail? Repentance. A turning from their evil ways and a turning to the Holy One of Israel. A turning from their sin and a turning to holiness and righteousness. But notice, to do otherwise, what happens? If you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. So to do good, you're going to eat the good of the land. If you repent, you're going to eat the good of the land. If you refuse, you're going to be eaten yourselves by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. On one hand, they can have the spoil of the land. On the other hand, they become the spoil themselves. Repentance. This is still a requirement today. Walking down to the front and saying, I do, is only part of a marriage, is it not? You can't 
go off and live as if you aren't married from that point forward. Just go down and say, I do. And then from the rest of your marriage, just go off and live however you please. There has to be a commitment. There has to be a change. When I said I do, I said I'm committing to you. I'm going to change who I am and I'm going to become someone different. I'm no longer single. I'm married. What about with our relationship with Christ? When we say I believe in Jesus, those words are meaningless if we don't act on them. The words I believe in Jesus by definition also include and I hate my sin. Without turning from our sin, we've actually never turned to Jesus in the first place. We've just kind of kept on our own road. And what, where do we hear over and over in Scripture the way that seems right to man leads him to death? I think especially for kids, you kids who've grown up in the church and you've never known a time where you just haven't been in church on Sunday, and that's a fantastic thing, by the way. But simply being here Simply saying, I believe this stuff because it's all I know. That's one thing. That's great. But guess what? The demons believe in Jesus. They believe also. They know there is a God and they hate Him. They do not act as if there's a God because they still think they can win. And if you say you believe in Him and yet you don't act as if you believe, you're doing the same thing. You're walking the path of demons. You'll suffer their fate. Judgment. Eternal damnation. If you believe in Christ, you will show it every time. You think back to the introduction. A person can act politely and treat me nicely, but if they are holding me at gunpoint and breaking into my house, I'm not going to believe anything that they've said to me at all. How much more does God see us when we say that we are believers and yet we act completely differently? We treat others with disrespect. We don't do the things that we see here. We don't cease to do evil. We don't learn to do good. We don't seek justice and correct oppression. We don't bring justice to the fatherless. We don't plead the widow's case. How often then is he going to look at us and say, if we would have kept going there in Matthew 7, turn with me back to Matthew 7. Because this is important. This is the Lord Jesus, you know, and Jesus is uh, supposed to be loving and nice, and he's, you know, he accepts all people, right? Is that what, that's what the current version of Christianity is trying to tell us. Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-one: Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, "Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name?" Did we not cast out demons and do many mighty works in your name? Did we not study our Bibles six times a week with our families? Did we not memorize scripture together? Did we not know all the shorter catechism? Did we not share our faith daily? Did we not do these things? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If you believe in him, you will show by the way you treat others, by the way you act, you will show it. Conclusion. Our acts of worship and devotion to God are fine and good. And these are all good things. And don't hear me saying they're not. They're even commanded things. And we should be studying our Bibles. We should be praying. We should be here together. Absolutely, it's good. But if they aren't backed up how, with how we live and how we treat others, others, they are all in vain. 
They are a stench to our God. So let us be a people who cease to do evil, who learn to do good, who seek justice and correct oppression, who help the helpless. Let us seek after God who sought us even while we were helpless. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, these are difficult words. They were difficult when you spoke them and gave them to the prophet Isaiah. They were difficult there in the Sermon on the Mount. They're difficult today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us as your people, that you would lead us to repentance. You do so with your kindness to us, with your grace to us, with your mercy to us. And so, Lord, we pray, lead us to repentance. Show us what it means to follow you, that we might serve the world so that they would know that you're our Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.